Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast, presented by DaVinci Academy. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper. This episode is a part of our DaVinci Innovators series, which feature physicians, inventors, and entrepreneurs working on innovative medical technology. Our guests for these episodes discuss developing new medical technology, building med tech companies, and advice for anyone going through the process of medical innovation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. Uh, this week, I'm uh, joined by the co-founders of Ferrum Health out in uh, San Francisco, California. Uh, I'm joined by the uh, CEO, Pelu Tran, and then the CTO, uh, Kenneth Ko. So welcome, guys. Appreciate you coming on. Why don't each of you guys tell me your kind of a little bit about your background and then how you both came together to, to start this company? Sure. So um, uh, my background, I've, I uh, actually came out, came out west from, uh, from the East Coast for an engineering undergraduate and uh, medical school at Stanford. Uh, was applying to uh, uh, radiology when I actually started my first company. So a typical Stanford med student, go on to <laughs> start a company, uh, get venture funding, and uh, ultimately ended up bringing the company public via SPAC um, a couple years back. And, and uh, from there, had an opportunity to uh, work really closely with a lot of the nation's leading health systems, um, strategics like McKesson, DeVita, and uh, realized some just fundamental challenges with how hospitals were, were adopting technology and some, some real patient needs that were out there that we had an opportunity to, to address. So that's how we started Ferrum. Yeah, and on my end, um, I started programming back in the fifth grade when BASIC was still a thing. Uh, and eventually got a BS and MS in computer engineering with a focus on security and information assurance. Then went on to these enterprise companies from the get-go, things like Harmonic or Cisco, where we're building out these like high-performance softwares that ship on hardware that installs in someone else's data center. And so when I was speaking with Palu and you know spoke a lot of times because we met back in 2010, 2011, and just speaking with him about the challenges about healthcare, that one notion of shipping software on hardware that gets deployed somewhere else was a far cry from what the industry was moving to, which is cloud. And it seems like that kind of skill set really fit in healthcare's alley. And that's how we ended up with Ferrum. Awesome. No, thanks for that background, guys. Appreciate it. So I guess why don't we start with what what exactly is Ferrum Health? What's your guys' mission? Like what what type of you know products and services are you guys offering and and uh, like who your typical clients are? Yeah, so so we we founded Ferrum um, uh, coming out of uh, my previous company, really because we uh, well, well I guess I had a personal experience that that really ended up um, shaping how how I thought about technology. Um, and we we're we're sitting here in the the hotbed of uh, innovation and and startups and AI and uh, you know transformation and disruption, and um, uh, I had a family member, my my uncle, who actually ended up passing away from uh, late stage lung cancer. And the challenge with that was that uh, his cancer had been present on imaging studies several times before. I mean, it had actually been missed by his doctors three different uh, occasions on three different imaging studies. Uh, and by the time he was diagnosed, of course, he ended up uh, having widely metastatic disease and, and dying a few months later. And uh, this was in an environment where you know, I, I knew for a fact that there were eight different companies with FDA-cleared solutions that would have cost a dollar to have been deployed on this imaging data and to have helped find his cancer. But as we all know, right, the adoption of AI continues to, to lag behind. And so you know, the average doctor who's making a diagnosis uh, is, is usually making it without the help of AI. And that's what happened in his case. And it's what drove our mission of, of trying to um, um, make healthcare intelligent. Uh, so um, I guess Ferrum does that by uh, trying to give hospitals IT systems the platform that they need to be able to efficiently deploy AI algorithms locally within, within their uh, data center environment. And we can talk a little bit about why that's so important and the benefits of that, but um, at a super high level, we provide hospitals with an AI platform that they're able to use to deploy and, and manage their, their AI solutions uh, securely and safely. Gotcha. No, I'm sorry to hear that about your, about your uncle. And, uh, you know, that's a, definitely gives you a little more inspiration for sure for uh, tackling this type of challenge. And, uh, I'm curious where the the scans that he had there were. You said there were no AI. Did I think I've heard you on another interview that you ended up applying some of your algorithms to his scans and and seeing that 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 you know things unfortunately would have been caught had they been yeah. used. Yeah, exactly. Um, on both X-ray and CT scan. So low to CT screening, X-ray. I mean, you know, I I think I think 
Um, many listeners are probably familiar with uh, the Invisible Gorilla study that came out of Harvard a few years back, um, where they literally put a gorilla in the middle of a lung CT scan and, you know, like over half of the radiologists missed it. So something that happens surprisingly frequently. Um, um, and, you know, in my family's case, unfortunately happened to a, to a family member. Yeah, no, thank you for, for that overview. Appreciate it. Um, so I guess at a high level, you guys, I was looking on your website, you offer these AI hubs. So is essentially, do you guys develop your own algorithms in house or is it more, um, yeah. you, you offer other algorithms as well? Yeah. Let's, so we're, 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 we're not in the AI development house. So let me, let me take a step back and just kind of explain what, how Ferrum works. Um, our mission is really to help hospitals work with these different AI companies, right? The current approach to deploying AI solutions, if you're a health system, IT organization is profoundly broken. Um, these IT teams are some of the most under-resourced, understaffed, underskilled in, 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 in any industry. And they're somehow being asked to bridge this 30, 40 year divide in technology where you have uh, you know, legacy OEM systems, right? Like the kind of the GE, Philips, Siemens, Canon, Fujifilms uh, of the world. And they're being asked to bridge these legacy systems with these modern cloud-based API-driven AI solutions. And if I'm in hospital IT team, like all of that burden falls to me, right? Pulling the data sets, sending it out to the cloud, having these companies compute on it, um, receiving the results back. And so I have no visibility into the security or use of patient data. I have no um, uh, ability to actually understand the performance of these tools. And I have no ability to scale, right? Every solution I integrate with is, um, it doesn't prepare me at all or doesn't give me anything I need to integrate with the next vendor. So we realized that there have been some advancements made in Kubernetes and remote management and uh, just the kind of how standard AI tooling has become that allowed us to, instead of sending patient data to the cloud, um, allow hospitals to download these applications via containers into a local, lo locally hosted environment. So really running these applications locally um, uh, rather than having to really figure out how you're going to integrate with a bunch of different vendor clouds. And that allows hospitals to um, deploy applications with a click of a button. It allows them to have complete visibility into how these tools perform. And it allows them to have the confidence that, you know, patient data isn't going to end up in the hands of someone who, who it shouldn't end up with. No, that's amazing. So it's, um, you're essentially, it sounds like you're uh, helping hospitals and hospital systems further or more easily adopt these, these AI algorithms into their system, which, cause I imagine is a, is a pretty big uh, technical challenge. And um, as you said, like, you know, that a lot of IT and these hospital systems is incredibly complex and may even be outdated as, as I'm sure in some, in some instances. So, um, but Ken, I'm curious from your end, like at, at the CTO level, like what, um, so what aspects like is kind of your, your focus and what, what are you, um, like from day to day, I guess, what, what your, uh, team working on in, in this aspect as well. He was really working on trying to support all of this and also the AI hubs in general. So because the AI hubs have a lot of shared similarities, but they also have their own unique uh, differences between them. Uh, if you break down the AI hubs that we have, we, it really gets categorized into three different workflows. One would be something like a work list triage update. One is a point of care, something more real time where the physician, physician is able to sit down, see the scan processed and analyzed by the AI algorithm before they uh, sit down. And then also on a second read or something that you know would have been more for quality. And so at a high level, all of these uh, workflows, they have the same goal of working in the background, processing data fast enough to be there for the radiologist before the radiologist there, and then also being simple to implement across the enterprise. And that's why we treat on-prem as a first-class option. And so on the technical side, we're really focused on trying to make all of that happen and all of that scale because we have more increasing amounts of data being processed, increasing amounts of AI algorithms to be processed, and making sure that it all works in a timely manner is a pretty big endeavor. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And I think from what it sounds like, there's no hardware involved with this at all. It's all, like you said, moved to the cloud uh, for like, as far as like the host of your, your applications and that type of thing. So we actually bring the cloud to the healthcare systems. Okay. And so we do that by treating on-prem as a first-class option, not just cloud, even though we support both. 10 out of 10 times because it's healthcare, they're going to start off with on-prem first. And because of that, we really work to ensure that the environment that the art partner ML algorithm developers uh, deploy in is something that uh, we could emulate on-prem so that we can actually run their algorithms inside the hospital data center 
and make sure that none of that data leaves their data center. Gotcha. Gotcha. So maybe could you guys talk about uh, some of like the clinical focuses? It looks like obviously oncology seems to be one of your clinical focus. I saw you guys have like an orthopedic uh, application as well for like detecting fractures and things like that. So maybe some of the clinical areas you guys are, are focusing on it right now. Yeah. So I, I, um, the way we think about it is um, radiology um, in isolation um, at a hospital. It, you know, it's not one of the largest specialties, right? Where radiology is really important is um, that it's become the primary diagnostic driver for um, most of the largest specialties, right? Cardiovascular, orthopedics, oncology, um, you know, women's health. And if you're, a, if you're a health system and you're looking at your finances, you realize that uh, every dollar of radiology revenue generated results in something like $74 of downstream specialty care. And so radiology is useful in that it is the kind of door through which patients enter the system and receive care. And so when we think about how, how is AI going to ultimately unlock value, you can't just think of it in the narrow context of you know, radiology productivity or efficiency or malpractice. You've got to think about it in terms of how, how, how does AI actually make radiologists um, better partners to the specialists they work with. And so along those lines, we think of radiology um, and on oncology, orthopedics, cardiovascular, neurology, women's health. We, we think about them in terms of those suites, right? Because if I'm trying to add value to my orthopedics team, they don't you know like, like a random tool for hip measurement or fracture or, you know, a bone lesions. Like, you know, they're like, well, you know, I, I kind of want you to be able to help with everything, right? Like I, I'm not going to, I don't want to pick and choose which applications you're, you're supporting. So that's why, um, and, you know, think about how companies work though. Like companies will struggle to put any one company is going to struggle to build all the algorithms needed in an entire category. Another example is one's health. Right? Like the company that build 2D MAMO is different than the 3D MAMO, which is different than density, which is different than you know uh, ovarian and uh, ovarian lesions, which is different than ultra, like ultrasound. So, um, just to have a comprehensive solution that's gonna that, that's gonna really um, fully support like a woman's health department, um, you need a bunch of different vendors all joining together on a single platform. So that those are what we call our AI hubs, um, is when we can bring together companies that have complementary um, product products, but which taken together create a really compelling offering for you know, an MSK imaging lead or for a department of orthopedics um, that's working with with radiology. From what I understand, there's hundreds of AI companies, you know, in even in the radiology uh, space. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but and I'm wondering, like, how do you guys choose, like, which ones you know you incorporate on your platforms, and and you know how that selection process is is done. That's a good question. So and there was an interesting data point that came out recently um, uh, where they interviewed a, a bunch of systems that were using AI and they, and they basically asked um, how many uh, of your AI initiatives actually end up getting into production. Um, and the question here becomes, uh, uh, you know, turns out a lot of these tools, even after it being implemented, don't work the way they're indicated, right? And it's because AI by definition is biased. Uh, it is a technology that just um, is going to be specifically biased towards the population it's trained on. And when 93% of all AI algorithms are trained on patient data exclusively from California, New York, and Massachusetts, you realize that a lot of these tools are going to struggle to generalize. And that's exactly what you see, right? Um, if you have a population that, that doesn't reflect the demographics or the um, uh, disease distribution or the scanner machine types of the vendor that you're working with, um, performance can be unpredictable. And the right answer isn't for every vendor to somehow train on every population. And it's also not for every hospital to only work with vendors that have trained on their, like the answer is, is not kind of limit how much AI you use. It's just, hey, you just gotta test this stuff locally um, in order to have any knowledge. So um, we look at a lot of publications, we look at kind of at companies' FDA clearances, and most importantly, because we have a platform that can really easily, you know, one-click deploy these tools, um, we um, also uh, are able to kind of try before you buy for our, our, the hospitals we work with, right? We were able to run a validation study and um, actually implement them uh, in a way that um, tells hospitals exactly how these tools work on their local population. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You know, there's a, 
a research group here at the radiology department at Emory. And one of the things they're working on is because here at Emory, we, in Atlanta, we have kind of a unique patient population where almost half the population is uh, patients of color. And so we have a kind of an interesting opportunity here to, to train AI algorithms on, on a unique uh, patient set. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. You comment on that. Cause I imagine that's a challenge is, you know, being able to, you know, cause as you guys know, different patient populations, different races have different, you know, um, predispositions, if you will, to certain disease states and other things. So I think getting them generalized. And so that's, uh, it's interesting that you guys take that into consideration as well when both yeah. figuring out which algorithms to use, and then also consulting, you know, uh, different healthcare providers on what, which ones to use. So what's been the reception from the healthcare system, the healthcare systems that have adopted your guys' services? Um, you know, how are they staying? Is it, I imagine it's making a lot of the radiologists lives easier. Like what kind of uh, feedback are you guys receiving? Yeah, so uh, I, I think uh, doctors aren't really used to, you know, radiologists aren't really used to this idea of just being able to turn on an AI solution. And so um, there are, there's, there's a lot that can be done with that. Um, for example, we, when we ran uh, one of our tools uh, that, does, that does fracture dissection on uh, one of our customer sites, we were able to show them that they had uh, twice the rate of error at the end of their shift between the hours of four and six as they did during the day. And this is something that, you know, we showed like, listen, literally this, this algorithm is literally flagging twice the number of actual confirmed misses in those hours than it is um, uh, at other times of day. And they're like, well, like, you know, like, you know, that doesn't surprise us at all. We're a little surprised that it's almost double, but yeah, we're tired at the end of the day. <laughs> the coffee's wearing off or, 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 you know, we're getting sleepy. And so they were able to take that and start you know, really considering, hey, how do we actually drive work- workflow changes or staffing changes to try to limit this? Because you know, they're like, we know this isn't just fracture. We know that this is you know, all diagnostic, diagnostics that we're, that we're engaged with here. And we were able to show them that, they're, um, that they were um, roughly one in 200 of their upper extremity uh, x-rays, you know, elbow, wrist, hand, uh, contained a missed fracture. And that's, again, almost like 50, 50 to 75% higher than other scan types. And so again, you know, these AI tools being able to be deployed and actually deployed in a way that has analytics and monitoring around it uh, allows us to um, you know, me- meaningfully uh, change, not just you know, the patient diagnosis with these AI tools, you know, make more diagnoses, prevent patient harm, but literally allows us to uh, identify the weaknesses um, in our practice patterns uh, uh, that, that you've been able to kind of work on and change. So I think, um, these tools are, are fantastic when they're run across populations, um, but they're also leaving some interesting insights on how radiologists work and, and you know, where, where our blind spots and where, where our weaknesses are. It's really interesting that you not only help the, just the, you know, what you initially set out to do, which is help obviously with diagnostics and things, but also improving workflow of radiologists. Cause I, I imagine what, cause what I've seen in some places where you'll have uh, radiologists where they'll, their shifts will overlap or things like that. But I imagine not every place does that as, as you, it seems like you guys have found out. And so, um, kind of help prevent that. Like you said, you know, the coffee wearing off or getting tired at the end of the ship or, or realizing you got to go and you want to, you kind of want to rush through those last few studies. So, and that's interesting. You found, found those areas and that's really important, uh, you know, to help us do our job better and more effectively. So, uh, Ken, I'm curious at a high level, with working with the hospital systems and the like IT departments, is the, how has that been with working with those? And like, do they have trouble adopting them? And, and is there any kind of hangups you've, you've run into with that? I think going back to, or combining this with that reception topic, ultimately we have a lot of positive interactions with the IT teams that we work with. And a lot of that is driven by one of our earliest goals of making it easy for IT so that we can work together to, eventually get to that other goal of being able to essentially try and validate a lot of different algorithms and have this one-click deploy workflow so that ultimately the physicians and the patients benefit. And because of that, in terms of what an implementation looks like or what IT needs to do, there really isn't that much that's out of the ordinary. In fact, there's really nothing out of the ordinary. Um, If we were to, you know, deploy on-prem, which is healthcare's bias right now, you know, basically they need to rack and stack our servers, give us some IP addresses, and then start sending us data. And after that, we do everything internally from figuring out what data should go paired with which ML algorithm, and then also figuring out how to best deploy 
the results of that algorithm and put them back in front of the physician's eyes. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for that overview. I appreciate it. Um, so as far as I'm curious more on the radiology workflow, and, and this may even just be a general AI question from what you guys have seen, but um, do you guys focus on, and maybe you mentioned this earlier with helping with the workflow and essentially, cause as, as we get more and more studies, it's, you know, helping prioritize. I imagine that's where AI could really help, you know, if, if you have a bunch of negative studies, but then you have that one, you know, case where it's, you know, acute appendicitis or something where you've got to call the clinician right away and you don't want to get to that case later, you know, sooner rather than later. So I imagine AI could help with that. And then, uh, prior, maybe even tipping you off to the, Hey, there's more, maybe a critical finding more so in this case versus some of the others. So in terms of, in terms of workflows, um, I, I think we, sometimes we, we overthink <laughs> what the workflows are going to be for, for AI. And we, we kind of make it, make it too complicated for ourselves. Um, we, we like to break it into three major categories of, of how the AI tools can actually be, be deployed. Well, three, three major categories and, and one separate one. Um, but you know, in terms of diagnostics, in terms of you know, improving quality and, and outcomes, um, uh, three areas. One is you can have AI running before the scan gets read. And that's called triage, right? That's called changing the order of, of um, what's, what's being read at what time. And you know, companies like Viz, uh, ADOC, et cetera, are, 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 are best known for this. A rapid. Um, two is computer-aided detection, right? Where you are actually changing and adding additional things to what the doctor is re reviewing. You're, you're kind of changing their, their search pattern, etc. And then three is uh, after the read, which is you know think of it as like a safety net or population monitoring, where you're actually running it as a safety net to try to find diagnoses or follow-ups or you know um, certain things that were documented or, or 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 identified. And like those are kind of the three ways that you can actually implement. AI and read, right? It's, it's not too complicated. The nuance becomes, okay, well, is it popping up via a widget or uh, via the natural, natural viewer? Is it um, being deployed, um, you know, uh, into uh, Epic Radiant or some other, you know, the nuance has to become when you realize that each one of those steps can be implemented like dozens of different ways. Um, our general inclination is just, you know, radiologist workflows are already super fragile and refined and efficient. And so any, anyone who's trying to change workflows is going to have a rough time scaling a business. And so for us, we look for solutions and algorithms that we can deploy that you know, fit into existing workflows without requiring retraining or kind of shifting of, 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 of pattern. Gotcha. Now, as I'm sure you both are aware, you know, things, medicine is, a, is an area that's slow to change and slow to adopt things and, and often meets things with uh, skepticism. So I'm curious when you guys are talking with, you know, different hospitals or physicians and, you know, they're maybe considering adopting your, your services, if you get any kind of skepticism from them and, and maybe like how you, how you guys talk to them through that and, and make them see, essentially see the light, if you will, <laughs> that um, there's, there, there's a more efficient way to do things. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I think we're, we, I think we are past the point where, uh, radiology. So we kind of had this like curve where like, oh my God, like AI is so exciting. And then, oh wait, is it going to take all of our jobs? Um, <laughs> and then like, oh, okay, like this stuff actually doesn't work all the, the, So, you know, the, the Gartner hype curve, right? We kind of have done this little, little spike here and now we kind of in, in the right. valley of disillusionment and now we're kind of clawing our way back out. And, the, what, and what happens when you're clawing your way back out is people realize that um, this nascent technology that we all thought was super promising actually needs a lot more features around it to actually make it usable. This happens in every industry, right? And so we're at a point where we're like, okay, well, like just having an algorithm that can predict a, like a, a lung nodule in isolation doesn't work all that well unless it fits into a broader system. You have workflows around it. You have monitoring. You have platforms. You have update mechanisms. Like all of the features that are required uh, around this kind of single little diagnostic engine um, uh, it is what's being built now. So I think hospital systems, Radiologists have realized that, right? They're like, yeah, like the, the 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 toy that I you know was playing around with a couple of years back that you know will measure the diameter of a lesion automatically for me, like that um, needs more before it's going to actually be able to meaningfully change my workflow. But um, you have a lot of companies out there now, so you know it's it's reasonable to expect um, as we start to build these platforms that that um, that there's going to be value unlocked. So hospitals are all looking for platforms now. They're excited about these point solutions. There are too many of them to work with. And so you know, if they're not looking to us, they're looking to their you know, existing vendors, right? The, the Siemens, GEs, Philips, et cetera, the world to help them with this. So um, 
uh, that's kind of what we're seeing. I, I don't think there's much pushback anymore about the need for a platform because, you know, people are like, well, we need to use AI and we can't work with every company that's under the sun. So we need, we need some sort of connectivity there, which has been great for us. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's, that's a really great point. And uh, I had a, an attending in my program on who's part of that AI research group I was talking about. He was on uh, the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. I actually worked with him this morning too in the, in, when I was doing ER imaging. And he, he made an interesting comment that AI is akin to, you know, when people switch from, you know, real, like, you know, physical plane films to, you know, electronic films. He said, you know, there were radiologists that transitioned and radiologists who didn't. And he goes, and unfortunately, the ones who didn't, you know, kind of got left behind. And so he was kind of saying that, you know, the way AI is, is gotten to is where it's, you know, it's going to get to a point where there's either radiologists that use it or that don't. And, uh, it's kind of like the wave of how things should be moving and, and you may get left behind if you don't. I mean, I think you can still be thought of as being a good, I think you can still be thought of as being a good radiologist um, today um, without using, you know, yeah, I, th- I think we haven't gotten to a point where you, know, you have to be using the AI tools in order to be a good radiologist. Um, but like, you know what, like reimbursements have dropped 50% for per exam in the past 10 years. I think they're dropping further. Um, you have, you know, CT scans have gone from, you know, uh, you know, low double digits number of slices to high double digit number of slices. You have a tenfold increase in the total amount of data being generated. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, an increasing amount of volume of scans as the population gets older and the increasing complexity. And then the same number of radiologists. So you have these ridiculous pressures on radiologists where like you, you are actually you know, reading a CT scan in the time that you used to be able to read an x-ray and you're being compensated half as much for it. So um, I, I think the only, the pressure on radiologists just to, just to stay afloat, just to make the same amount of state that you made last year um, and deliver the same quality of read, like that's just going to snap and it's already starting to kind of, kind of fray at the edges. And so, you know, I think when you, when you look at um, being a radiologist 10 years from now, as these trends continue, to order of magnitude increase in the way that we don't want them to. I, I don't think you'll be able to be a good radiologist unless you have a lot of these AI tools supporting you and, and kind of catching you where, where you fall. Because you'll be reading you know, five times as many CT scans in half as much time for the same amount of money. You're not going to be able to do that without the help of technology. Mm-hmm. We, we're already operating, the, kind of, we're already redlining um, the radiology as a profession right now. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'll, I'll echo what you're you're saying. Everything I, I hear from attendees and then people from that we hear about from private practice that you know it's it's really, believe it or not, there's a lot of burnout in radi- in especially in diagnostic radiology because for the exact reasons you're you're mentioning yeah. that there's you know you have to read twice as many scans and even at the big academic places you know like Emory or like Stanford or uh, you know UCSF where you which is also out where you guys are and the volumes are are just going up everywhere and then so uh, I guess kind of going off that, I'm wondering, you know, obviously these big academic places have a lot of radiologists, they have residents, they have fellows, they have a lot of support. You also have these hospital systems where they're in the more rural or remote areas where there's not as many physicians, but still can be, you know, a number of patients. I'm curious, have you guys worked with any of those or, or have any thoughts on like how AI could really, I think, probably help those systems as well? Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, and this is this is a health, health equity problem that I think, um, isn't appreciated enough, which is like, uh, we treat, you know, reading an x-ray as a commodity. Right? Like, oh, if it's done by an overworked generalist at 2 a.m. who's, you know, doing a night hawk covering a rural hospital. Uh, I mean, we, we think of that, you know, oh, he read the x-ray, you know, the, the output is going to be the same as, you know, the academic reading it in their, their, their room with, you know, uh, a, a hyper-specialist training. Um, and like, that's not the case. And so when, when we're not able to measure error and we're not able to measure quality, um, you end up basically degen- you know, regressing to the lowest quality possible scan you can do without like literally the floor being malpractice costs being greater than the savings you have for being understaffed. And that's not the floor you want to have. Um, so I think where AI becomes interesting is that you know AI doesn't care if it's being deployed into a rural hospital or an academic teaching center, right? It's going to do the exact same thing for the exact same um, uh, patient study, and and that is actually a great equalizer because 
you know, maybe it's only being used for, I don't know, lung nodules and pneumonia and fractures and some, you know, some, some initial use cases. But if, if we were able to deliver the same quality of diagnostic care for lung nodules uh, or fracture or pneumonia in a rural setting as you are in a tertiary center, like you are bridging a massive care divide that people don't even recognize exists today. So that's one of the things that for us, you know, when we deploy at a site like Sutter Health or we deploy us at, at you know, like a health system, um, multi-state health system, like, you know, we really try hard to not just be deploying at, you know, the, the super wealthy enclaves of, of those groups, but actually being, being deploying, being deployed enterprise-wide. No, that's great. I mean, I think as far as not only do you want to f- increase effectiveness everywhere, but also, like you said, like kind of these inequities that, that exist, uh, you know, across, you know, you could go, you can have the same condition and go to, you know, like Stanford hospital or Emory hospital, but you may not get necessarily the same, you know, because they just don't have the same resources. But I think this doing something like this, like you said, would definitely really help for sure. Um, you know, I guess kind of going off that with any new technology, there's always new unforeseen problems that, that, that arise. Um, and, you know, I think probably AI is no different. I guess I'm curious, what, what are some of those you guys have seen and, and how have you guys tried to, you know, help mitigate that or help your clients mitigate those? Yeah. Um, one of them is that there is a very low correlation um, between stated performance of an algorithm and actual performance of an algorithm. And, and by I mean very low, I mean like there's no way to tell. <laughs> your, 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 FDA, your FDA clearance could be just flawless, right? It could look like a, like a, like a, you know, journal, like a journal club, you know, case study. Um, and then you can just completely underperform across populations. And it's because the vast majority of these tools are being validated on the same population they're being trained on. So all you're really doing is saying, how, how good can you train the algorithm to kind of overfit a model? Um, and so that's one of the big challenges that I think we're still coming to terms with um, as companies come out, right? Like it, it, there's, no, there's no reward for being a good and high, uh, kind of developer right now. And that's gotta change. And that's one of the things we're trying to drive is awareness and transparency into um, uh, these AI performance. And so, you know, we're trying to integrate and work with uh, systems that, you know, they want to be reporting into registries like, you know, ACR, DSIs, right, SSAI, or patient safety organizations that, that collect this data and want to say, hey, like, here's actually how these tools are formed. Here are their blind spots. Here is where they're useful. Here's where they, you know, may, may be kind of noisy um, and actually driving, you know, the sharing of these insights between organizations um, for vendors. And that's something that like, it is shocking that that ha- hasn't happened yet. That if I'm deploying, you know, a PE solution at my institution, that I, there's no way for me to get visibility or have any idea of how the PE solution has worked at my neighboring facilities. Even if, you know, everyone else is using it, you know, 10 other facilities are using it, I have no way to know what their outputs are, right? All I have are anecdotally like, Oh, I talked to this radiologist and they said that it was kind of kind of nice. Or I talked to this other radiologist at another site and they said it was kind of noisy. Like that's kind of all we have to make sense of the noise. And AI is a quantitative field, right? We should be able to know exactly how these tools perform, what their outputs are, what their weak spots are. We should be able to share that stuff between organizations. And I think when we can do that, we're going to end up with a much more um, uh, rapid adoption of these tools because you can finally trust. Uh, to, kind of have a semblance of what it's going to look like when you deploy it, but there's no trust left anymore in the, in the space. And we've got to somehow fix that. No, oh, that, that makes sense. Um, no, and I commend you guys for, for, uh, you know, working hard to, to, to help, uh, build that trust back up. I I'm curious, Ken, on your, on your end, on the tech end of things, you know, where, 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 um, where has your, your role or your experience fit on this? Like what kind of feedback have you re- received from the, like maybe the tech side of things on, issues that, you know, come up or, or how to mitigate those? It really is central around the point that Paley was talking about, about the lack of trust and the disassociation between what vendors and partners say that their performance is on paper versus what we see in real life. And we get that, you know, same ask for clarification from the people we work with on both sides of this uh, table, um, both from the hospital side and also from the partners, because know their performance is something that they are they have like you know pride in because it is something that they're optimizing for and being able to see that oh that there is a missing gap or there's additional room to grow in particular patient populations 
is something that they want and we want for the patients ultimately. And, you know, just goes back to the same points of just making it easy to validate these algorithms so that we can start measuring so that we can start improving. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I imagine that's, uh, over people overstating. I mean, that's, you know, an issue that's across many things and almost as old as time, but, um, but I think, you know, valid, I imagine that's, uh, validating what they say it actually can do. I I'm curious, is there, do you guys ever validate it and then turn it out on the actual population and then everything you maybe did in your kind of pre-vetting, uh, you know, process made things look good. And then it actually, when you turned it live, it, there were kind of unforeseen maybe issues that, that arose as a result of that, or that were unforeseen, if you will. Nothing that reaches the doctors, um, because that's kind of the point of having a platform partner, right? Like I think um, I, I do hear a lot of nightmare stories around IT organizations that um, basically end up in this like multi-month long, long slog of like trying to figure out how cloud APIs work with these vendors, sending the wrong data, you know, just having, you know, basically like, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong with a lot of um, uh, IT organizations. And so um, we found that the, the less you require of them to be able to implement, the kind of better off they're gonna end up being. So for us, we have full control over the platform from the hardware on up through the containers that we host the algorithms within. And that gives us a lot of control, right? Um, if anything, I think that the, the challenge for us becomes um, uh, making sure that we are um, like keeping up with the requests that are coming from providers now, because you know, now, now, now that providers have our platform installed, they're like, okay, cool. You know, can, is there a thyroid tool for, on this platform? Is there a pancreatic lesion tool? Is there a bone lesion tool? Right? Like I think once they realize, oh, we can actually try this stuff out and see what works, um, radiologists tend to get excited and they tend to like want to try more things out and it's just keeping up with that. And then, yeah, there are a lot of solutions um, that are on the market that are super niche and you know, like they're never going to be able to be monetized individually. And there's a lot of research that's out there from academics that, uh, you know, will never be a company, right? So, you, you know, you may develop an algorithm that is like the world's best, I don't know, um, like a lymph node measurement tool for you know, metast you know metastatic disease staging, and like it's like you're never going to build a company around that, right? However, it, that it's a really powerful tool that you know, if offered in an oncology you know hub or in a suite of solutions, you know could save doctors a lot of time. So, um, I think the 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 next step for us is going to be uh, really trying to find ways to get a lot of these smaller point solutions that you know, will never make it to become a company um, to actually um, have a path to market. And I think that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if if a practice or a hospital, I'm just curious as, a, as we're talking about this, if they don't use like, you know, your guy's company, I imagine, do they have to vet all this stuff themselves and, and uh, you know, essentially figure this out on their own? And then I could imagine that is a huge barrier to, if they do, if that to adopting AI in, into their practice. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, uh, I think we, spoke with a few of our health systems that we've known for for decades and we talked to them about what the actual cost of implementation uh, was for any given solution not even ai but just like a new vendor a new tool and it measures in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and in the kind of 12 to 18 months time frame at best and so you know fda clears a hundred or so ai tools per year and probably several several hundred just general clinical tools per year. Hospitals are currently able to implement one every year to year and a half. And so, you know, we're, we're, we know, it's not that they can't do it, right? Like, you know, clearly there have been commercial successes in AI. You know, there are folks who are deploying lung nodule tools or, you know, PE tools or triage tools. Like, there are successes, but the successes are occurring, you know, in, you know, these one to two year increments. <laughs> And so like, that, like just, you know, we're two orders of magnitude off, right? We're not 10x slower, we're 100 times slower than where we need to be as, uh, as a kind of profession in terms of adop adopting technology. And guess what? Like AI is gonna only going to continue being, becoming easier to build, more powerful, and therefore covering more use cases. So we're going to go from being 100 times too slow to being 1,000 times too slow in, in, in the next couple of years. And at some point, right, like that's got to break because there's just too much value. There are too many patient lives at stake um, 
to, to continue just like, you know, implementing, you know, one new solution year. This year we'll do fracture. Next year we'll do PE. The year after we'll do, you know, breast tomo. And by the time that happens, my fracture tool will be out of date. Like there's no universe where that, where that actually ends up being the way that healthcare uh, modernizes. I see. That's, that's interesting. I, I'm curious from, you know, there's a lot of offerings out there, technology where, you know, the doctors really like it. They think it, it's really useful. You know, it helps give better patient care, but as, as you know, unfortunately, sometimes it can be hard to get like the healthcare, the administration to buy into that. And like, you know, you've got to demonstrate, I imagine some kind of value add or cost savings or things like that. How do you guys like mitigate that, that aspect of, of trying to work with, with some of these hospital yeah, systems? I think I think this is actually where um, radiologists who are forward-looking um, actually most differentiate themselves. Because uh, if I am a radiologist who is thinking about what my profession is going to look like in the future, I am thinking of my role with regards to the broader care team, to the specialists I serve, and to the value I add them, and I'm working on those relationships. And so I've got a good relationship with the chair of ortho and the chair of oncology where we understand the role I play in the patient's diagnostic journey. And when I want to deploy tools that improve the diagnostic journey, they've got my back, right? I've got the chair of ortho saying, hey, listen, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, our, our clinics are failed because radiology makes these diagnoses, right? They're doing a great job, but there are areas that, you know, we could be driving more care, preventing patient harm. And like, yeah, you know, like, I'm willing to say, yeah, like, if I get more patient visits, I do more, if I do more surgeries, if my patient outcomes are better because of radiology, being a good partner to me, like, you know, I'll support them in that versus what kind of happens now, which is chair of radiology arguing for budget for their toys against the chair of ortho who's arguing for budget for their toys against cardiovascular who's arguing for budget. Like, like right now there's kind of this like feeling that like radiologists have to fight other departments um, for budget. And I just have never seen that be successful <laughs> because at the end of the day, radiology's value, again, $70 to $1 Radiology's value is the, is the care that it, that out, that their diagnoses generate. So um, I think the groups that we work with that have strong relationships with the specialists that they partner with and serve, they are able to get these initiatives through. They're able to you know meaningfully transform practice, get access to budget that they otherwise wouldn't. The ones who kind of just try to go it alone and try to you know focus on tools that drive you know incremental efficiency or you know auto reporting or you know left right mismatch. Like there's some tools that radiology can. In, in isolation, say, yeah, I'll be able to read, you know, 3% more studies or, you know, I'll be, you know like, uh, there are tools like that, but like, that's not where AI is going to transform radiology. And if you keep trying to do that, you're going to end up replacing yourself. So that's, that's how we think about it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I'm curious also with um, applying these in the, like the, the more rural areas and things like that, you know, maybe, where maybe they have limited resources is that have you run into any situations like that where they don't have necessarily the, the tech infrastructure for to do this or or is that and is there ways you guys help them mitigate that or has that not really been an issue maybe yeah i mean i i think one of the i guess i i want to say fortunate but somewhat unfortunate things is that i mean standalone rural clinics unless they're federally funded like they're just getting rolled up right there are there you don't really have this notion of a standalone hospital anymore you've got to be part of a larger system and so because of that roll up one of the first things they do is the last thing a kind of a, a rural clinic wants to do is manage its own IT. So we've actually, um, you know, we, we've seen uh, uh, regional roll-ups be kind of the, the name of the game. And for us, you know, as a platform, we're most valuable to large systems, large groups, large practices that are going to, you know, that actually have volumes that are going to be meaningful and have the multiple stakeholders demanding different things. And so for us, we generally play on the larger side of the market. Um, and so we don't have as much uh, opportunity to, to really uh, work with these smaller, smaller practices and groups. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. So uh, I wanted to ask you guys kind of looking forward a little bit, like what are your, like your, your ambitions kind of in the next you know, year or two years. And so, and both like Pelu from your standpoint on like kind of the overall vision and the clinical side, and then Ken from your side on like the technical aspects as well. And what, what you guys are excited about and what you guys are trying to accomplish, you know, in the near future here. Yeah, so we, I think we, we grew our, um, we, the number of applications that vendors that we work with and the number of use cases on our platform, we grew threefold last year, we're, we're doubling it this year. And so we're at a point where I think we are onboarding and adding vendors 
um, and you know, getting them installed at hospitals at a faster rate than you know anybody else's. Right, like we we had an installation, um, you know, Carl Clinic over in Illinois, where we actually turned on I think five different solutions, and we're like you know launching new ones you know every few quarters, right? And so I think this idea that a hospital system working with us can go from zero AI capabilities to working with you know a dozen different vendors in the matter of a few months going to catch up to some of these folks who have been trying to, you know, bust down the doors of AI for you know, five, seven years now. And that overnight you could actually be, meet and exceed the amount of usage and kind of the tools that you have integrated. I think that's something that we've finally started to prove. Started to prove. So, so that, that'll be an area where we, um, you know, our goal is, you know, everything we're investing in is basically, you know, we're clearly able to get hospital systems from zero to five to seven algorithms being used in you know, a month or two. How do we get that from zero to 10, zero to 20 algorithms that are being deployed scalably, sustainably with ROI, et cetera, um, as an initial installation? And so for us, it's, you know, it's how many patient lives are we covering, which is how many hospital systems are we working with? How many radiologists are, are, are we deploying into? Then it's gonna be how much AI are we running for them? How many tools per site are we actually launching? And you know those two things, those two metrics end up giving us our North Star metric, which is you know number of patient predictions and um, a total impact that our platform is having. And that's our North Star. You now that's going to be the case. It was the case when we first launched. It's going to be the case ten years from now. Is the more AI that we can enable hospitals to deploy in the patients, um, ultimately, right? Like unlocking that next order of magnitude every year or two is going to be how how I think we we drive change in healthcare. Awesome. No, that, thanks for that overview. Ken, how about on your end? What are, what are your kind of big missions or, or aims you're working for, working through on the, in the, over the, in the near future here? Oh, man. I mean, at the end of the day, it's enabling all of that is the easy answer. Um, but the few things that we are working on and have our eye on is uh, starting off with optimizing our validation workflow, making sure that as we have additional applications that uh, people want to use, we want to be able to make the rate of validation turnaround time for validations a lot lower than they are today, where it takes one week, we want to bring it down to one day, something along those lines, so that we can help these healthcare systems and facilitate, facilitate them to actually uh, try out additional algorithms and see what really works best for them. Because at the end of the day, we got to find, we got to match the two. Um, there's also things like reducing the time for installations. Again, think bringing down something from like eight hours to two hours. Uh, there's always going to be a hard limit if you're working with on-prem solutions because someone needs to unpack the box. But as we uh, start to talk about and find uh, places that are more open to cloud solutions and cloud-based solutions, then uh, so facilitating that and making sure that the cloud installations are actually more aligned with something one-click, something that IT can do on their own, and something that becomes very low burden is definitely one of our goals. And that actually uh, dovetails with scaling and keeping ahead, really, of the scale of apps that we need to support in terms of volume, in terms of data, in terms of number of applications. And that's, again, with multi-cloud for systems that already have servers that are on-premise within their data center, but they want overflow capacity, for instance, if they realize that they want to try out more than they can really handle with the servers they have. And also with horizontal scaling with these technologies like Kubernetes and just making sure that that's still efficient. And then the one thing that we really want to bring on to the table is making observability available to our ML partners and to IT teams. And so what that looks like is being able to provide them a lot more insight and data into how their applications are performing more real time across the sites that they're deployed at so that they can make improvements faster. And then also for our health IT teams to be able to understand how the ML applications that they're that are deployed at their site are improving uh, patient care at the end of the day. Awesome! Thank you both for giving me that uh, that overview and uh, congrats on your on your uh, rapid growth already. That's awesome! And then you know I, I uh, wish you all the best with uh, moving forward on that. I guess I'm curious, uh, kind of closing things out here. You know, obviously you guys are primarily focused on radiology and imaging. Have you any thoughts on expanding into other areas where AI has been, you know, talked about being applied or, or being currently applied, like dermatology, pathology, 
Um, I've even heard talk of, you know, using it to like scan charts in primary care clinics, you know, because you can go, you know, much more efficiently go through charts and flag things that are important to look at. I'm curious if you guys have any plans or thoughts on that. I mean, if, if you if you read through the FDA clearances that are being made, like two thirds of them are imaging, right? I think imaging is the most mature, it's the most standardized. And that's one of the reasons why radiology has always been at the forefront of technology is because, you know, unlike dermatology or pathology or um, the EHR as a whole, you know, we got DICOM, right? We got standards. Uh, and as a result, technology is able to scale um, in, in our profession much faster than it is in other places. Um, our platform is agnostic. And so, you know, in a world where every dermatology image was stored in a central archive and accessible, um, which doesn't exist, or in a world where pathology was digitized, which doesn't exist, <laughs> um, I think our, like, our platform will be just as capable of running those type of sorts of algorithms as, as it would be um, imaging. I just, I just don't think a lot of other um, specialties are at a point of standardization and digitization yet, which is crazy to me, but you know, we're in healthcare. We, 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 all, we all are constantly surprised <laughs> about these things. <laughs> no, that's an interesting point you make, especially about dermatology. You know, one of the my previous uh, podcast guests uh, is Dan Lambert, who's uh, he was uh, CEO and founder of uh, Board Vitals, which was like a big med company, and then now he's uh, CEO of this company called Pathology Watch, which is working to exactly do what you're talking about, which is digitize dermatology and dermo dermatopathology images. And then I think he, their plans are eventually to to utilize AI, but I think kind of the first phase right now is to you know get them get them digitized. So I think it's interesting you say that radiology is ahead of the curve, and that makes it obviously much more impactful and much easier to scale, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, I guess kind of, we ask every guest this, you know, you guys are very busy, you're running a startup. How do you guys balance your lives out of, outside of work? Where, where do you guys find that balance? <laughs> I, I don't think I understand the question. <laughs> yeah, what is, what is balance, right? <laughs> I think my hobbies kind of force me to balance because they disconnect me from the world. Like I do a lot of photography while I'm climbing and canyoneering in alpine and mountainous environments. And in those situations, there is not always a cell tower to get Slack messages or emails. So at least for the weekends, I am disconnected. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys. Appreciate you, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us and, and tell us more about what Ferrum Health is doing. I guess kind of lastly, where can they find you guys? You know, uh, how can people get in touch, reach out, uh, talk with you more about what you guys are offering and, and get uh, possibly adopt it within their system? Um, head to our website, firmhealth.com. Um, or firm.ai, whichever you want, depends on if you're a techie or if you're a hospital administrator, um, goes to the same place. Uh, and then, yeah, shoot, shoot us an email. It's uh, firstname at firmhealth.com if uh, anybody wants to learn more. Awesome. Well, Pelu, Ken, appreciate you guys taking time. Uh, really, uh, really insightful stuff and really innovative. I uh, really appreciate it. Likewise, this was a blast. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.